we have a really big impact on contemporary artists, and that's really important. We want to support cultural production. We believe we have an impact on learning here on campus, positioning the gallery as a classroom and creating opportunities for students to come in and connect their coursework to other examples and to be able to have conversations with people beyond the classroom. These experiential learning opportunities, I think, are really important. And then I think we have a really big impact in terms of mobilizing knowledge in unexpected ways. So visitors to the gallery might come in and encounter an exhibition that's circulating ideas in unexpected forms and creating encounters and creating um, visual and bodily experiences that our publics might not have had otherwise. And so I think that's another way that we have an impact is people walk away saying, wow, I've never thought about that before. I've never thought about how I look. How do I look at things? How do I look at people? Do I need to change the way I look at things and the way I look at people? So how can an exhibition do that? How can it ask questions? We aren't interested in producing exhibitions that make a statement or close down knowledge. We're interested in opening up knowledge. Broad ambitions for the Blackwood Gallery. But this is something today's guest, Christine Shaw, on View to the U takes very seriously, with a decent amount of humor and playfulness thrown in for good measure. She sees the gallery on the U of T Mississauga campus as a site of exploration and education, but also to serve as a place for inspiration, research and inquiry, sociality, and artistic and cultural inventiveness for all its participants and patrons. On this edition of View to the U podcast... Christine discusses the aims and ambitions of the Blackwood Gallery, its origins and recent exhibitions, and the research she undertakes in her academic role within the Department of Visual Studies. She also talks about the current three-part project the gallery is working on that has been funded by an unprecedented $375,000 grant they recently received, the largest ever in the Blackwood's 48-year history. Hello, and welcome to View to the U, an eye on UTM research. I'm Carla DeMarco at U of T, Mississauga. View to the U is a monthly podcast that will feature UTM faculty members from a range of disciplines who will illuminate some of the inner workings of the science labs and enlighten the social sciences and humanities hubs at UTM. Dr. Christine Shaw is the director-curator of the Blackwood Gallery at the University of Toronto, Mississauga, where she is also an assistant professor in curatorial studies and contemporary art. She officially joined UTM's Department of Visual Studies in 2013, though previously she taught in the Visual Culture and Communication Specialist Program in the Institute of Communication, Culture, Information, and Technology. You have recently been awarded a significant grant from the Canada Council for the Arts, which we're all just delighted about. It's fantastic. And so I was just wondering, I know that there's a three-part exhibition and a publication series that you'll be undertaking as part of this funding. So I just wondered if you could speak a little bit more about that. We're vibrating at the Blackwood (laughs) Gallery right now about this award and the opportunity to be able to develop and present a project at the scale that we can. Uh, The funding that you're speaking of is the Canada Council for the Arts new chapter program fund, which was actually a special one-time only fund that the council created when the federal government invested a substantial amount of new funding for the first time in uh, years. And the fund is designed to support exceptional projects that organizations and artists would otherwise be unable to do. So we were awarded $375,000. We have some fundraising to do because our ambitions even exceed that substantial amount of money. 
but the funding is to support, as you say, a three-part project, citywide exhibition that will be distributed throughout the city, meaning it'll be in multiple sites and not just sites that we normally understand as being places for contemporary art. But we're really interested in how the Blackwood Gallery can stage projects in places where we don't ordinarily expect to see art and what that unexpected encounter can engender. So an exhibition in 13 parts in 13 venues, both on the campus and in the city. The project is called The Work of Wind, Air, Land, Sea. So we're interested in exploring spaces from the forests of UTM campus to the shores of Lake Ontario to the airwaves of Pearson International Airport and really thinking about the relationship between air, land and sea in the 21st century. The other parts of the project include two books publications that I'm co-editing with longtime collaborators Anna-Sophie Springer and Etienne Turpin. Anna-Sophie is based in Berlin and Etienne is a research scientist in Jakarta, Indonesia, who also spends time in Toronto. And those books are really interesting publications because they're neither an art catalogue nor are they an academic book. They're a hybrid between. And we actually are going to treat those books almost as exhibitions in themselves. So we'll commission and curate content that can continues the questions and the field of inquiry that we're mobilizing through the exhibition. And that will help us have an international reach with the project. The third part of the project is um, what we're calling the Society for the Diffusion of Useful Knowledge. So increasingly, contemporary art galleries are interested not just in making exhibitions, but supporting other forms of knowledge production and public engagement. So that happens through workshops, performances, discussion groups, reading groups. And so our public outreach component for this project, called the Society for the Diffusion of Useful Knowledge, comes from Sir Francis Beaufort, who was a British Sea Admiral who was part of a group that looked to circulate or diffuse knowledge across an increasingly reading public who didn't have access to education. So their projects included things like the penny cyclopedias or atlases and maps that they would circulate for free. And so we're interested in how we can circulate knowledge across communities and across different readers around a series of questions around environmental violence and economic exploitation and the impact of of humans on the earth. And the other connection, why I'm interested in Sir Francis Beaufort, is the overall project is organized around a system that he invented for ocean navigation called the Beaufort Scale of Wind Force. So um, some of us are familiar with the Beaufort Scale of Wind Force through weather reports that say it's gale-like winds today. We're sitting at about force four or force six. And so the Beaufort Scale of Wind Force was a system of observation that Francis Beaufort developed um, where he measured the effects of wind both at sea and on land by looking at what wind did. So at sea, it creates waves. And on land, it decomposes. It blows leaves off of trees. It lifts shingles off of roofs. It leads to full force destruction. So I'm using that system of uh, wind measurement from Beaufort 0 to 12 and turning it into a system of prediction and premonition of the human impact on Earth. So the whole project will be organized through the 13 forces. That's why 13 artists, 13 venues. So each artist will take up the Beaufort force that I've assigned to them and develop a project. I might have missed this, but then was Beaufort... Was he an artist? Or like he just is total scientist, but you're sort Oceanographer, of... Oceanographer, yeah. scientist, yeah. 
Navy admiral. Um, so he was developing the Beaufort scale of wind force while at sea around Montevideo. So in nice warm waters, mm-hmm. he's studying the effect of wind. <laughs> but we're looking at how maybe, uh, you know, the waters are in crisis, that warm wind has shifted. And so how can we engage scientists, artists, people working in the humanities and a public in a creative exploration of climate crisis. That's so interesting. It sort of leads into another question I had about that this project has a significant environmental focus and that uh, this was one of the things that I read. It aims to cultivate a deeper acknowledgement of the complex cultural entanglements that mediate human experiences of the earth. And so I was wondering if you could tease that out a bit further, but I think you've sort of touched on that. So we started the project, how we start to describe it is we recognize that we live in a time of global warming, environmental degradation, and radical transformations in the Earth's ecosystems to the extent that we're learning that future generations will have a difficult time living on the planet. Um, And so we're asking questions about how are we affected by this cancellation of the future? Can galleries better address this increasing volatility and vulnerability of the Earth system? And what kind of curatorial practices can respond to ecologies of excess and their effects? So what role can art play in communicating the crisis, but also helping Helping to generate solutions to the problem. And we're really interested in how contemporary art can make visible and audible some of those effects. I mean, that's a role that art does is it communicates and publics learn how to read and to listen and to think alongside art. But for this kind of project, obviously as curators and artists, we need to connect with researchers in other fields to support the research, to support the inquiry. So we'll be collaborating with atmospheric science scientists, geographers, geologists. Um, We have a relationship with paleontologists. We think poetry plays a really important role because we're bombarded by the data of climate crisis, but how do we make sense of that data? And what role can other creative practitioners play in helping us understand and, and communicate? Yeah, I think language would really factor into this as well, right? Yeah, and and that even takes us back to the Beaufort scale of wind force. While it's a mere 150 words, it's one of the most poetic texts I've ever Mm -hmm. read. So that's part of where a scientist might apprehend the Beaufort scale of wind force as a system of scientific knowledge. A curator sees it as this exquisite piece of poetry that has all kinds of potential for curatorial production, Mm. (laughs) right? So language is a really interesting tool and resource for us. And I know you were talking about the collaborators that you're going to be working with, but also then your targeted audience for this exhibition would be, you just want to hit everybody. We do. Yeah, (laughs) academics. And And I think that's one of the really incredible advantages of being a university art gallery is we're housed in an institution that supports and mobilizes research and knowledge, but we're embedded within a city. And so we're interested in connecting with faculty across the campus from really, we believe that this project has the potential to reach out to every faculty on campus because we require people working in economics and finance and innovation, but we also um, want to look to the research and knowledge that's being produced in the hard sciences. So earth and chemical sciences will be a really important collaboration for us. The students that are studying within those departments, we really perceive the Blackwood Gallery as a classroom. And so we want to engage students through curricular connections, but also um, we 
work with students to support us in the production of these projects, in the outreach. So we employ students. But then also moving beyond the campus, we're interested in connecting with publics across the city of Mississauga. And that will happen by meeting publics alongside the Crevet River, where we might cite a project, or in a public library where we'll distribute the broadsheet series that we're making, a shopping mall. I mean, there are all kinds of sites that we'll be occupying for this project and the publics that come with those sites. Can you give me an example of one of the, you're talking about some of these sites, the airport and the Credit River, like just maybe one example of one of the exhibitions that Mm. might be part of this? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we're in development. So the relationships with artists are being formed. The invitations are leaving our offices. I can't speak to the specific details of projects yet, but I can give examples of previous um, works that I've done in support of a very similar project. I curated Exhibition C of the 10th edition of Nuit Blanche in Toronto, where I did a pilot run of this project. It's a a big pilot run. (laughs) (laughs) Nuit Blanche is a massive event that draws a million visitors a year. And so for that project, I staged 13 very large-scale installations. So I think that's what's interesting about this project is people can't expect to see paintings or small-scale sculptures and monuments. These are very large, immersive installations that create a very big kind of material bodily impact on a viewer. So for that project, for instance, I worked with Robert Wazowski, who's a sculpture professor at Syracuse University, and he developed a 12-hour lava pour. So he is the first person in the world to actually be making lava, and his lava lab at Syracuse University has been the subject of National Geographic episodes, and scientists are going to the artist to study his lava. So we actually had a 12-hour lava pour. I worked with Anandam Dance Theatre, directed by Brandy Leary, who commissioned 75 dancers and movement artists to move like a human glacier for 12 hours along the 1.5-kilometer stretch of the exhibition site. Or with Heather and Ivan Morrison, who we partnered with the City of Toronto's Tree Graveyard. It's where trees go to die when they've been cut down from disease or urban development. And we repurposed those trees and created a massive sculptural installation called The Cleaving, where people passed through a space that had been forged by hundreds and hundreds of full-size tree trunks. So that's the kind of scale and material we're interested in looking at the materials that either are impacting the earth or are being impacted by our human intervention. That's very cool. Yeah. And I have to laugh when you say lava because right now <laughs> right? my nine-year-old is all about the slime. And so... <laughs> Maybe that could be right? part of this installation one day. <laughs> but we really, no, absolutely. So there's a, an everyday kind of connection that people have with some of the materials that artists use, or they're surprised by how a space has been transformed by a piece of contemporary art. So we do believe in the kind of awe factor or the physical, emotional, psychological response people can have to contemporary art. And then what can we do with that reaction, right? And what kind of impact, long-term impact can it have on a public to think act and do otherwise. I love love this stuff. I know you do research and if you could do uh, like just a broad overview of your general program of research. Mm-hmm. That's what's interesting about being a curator. Some curators specialize, right? So they might work on Inuit printmaking. Uh, my practice is a bit more diverse, interdisciplinary and collaborative. So there isn't a research topic that I work on. What I do is I support long-term research projects by 
artists, but always in tandem with other people. So maybe the best way for me to answer that question is to offer some examples of recent programming at the Blackwood Gallery that is supported by expanded fields of inquiry and I think creates cultures of learning on campus. So a few examples include an exhibition we did in the summer of 2015. It was supported by a creative residency we hosted at the Blackwood Gallery with artist Samir Farouk, who's here in Toronto, and his collaborator Miriam Lindschruten, who's in the Netherlands. And their practice is really interested in decolonizing ethnographic and museological practices. And so they developed a really incredible exhibition called The Figure in the Carpet that we developed in partnership with the Department of Anthropology. And they worked alongside Trevor Orchard, who works in the Department of Anthropology, and with Heather Miller, who at the time was the chair. And in the end, we actually featured the Department of Anthropology's faunal collection, which interestingly, the way it was restaged and presented by the artists in a non-scientific way, but looked very scientific. A lot of people actually thought a number of the bones were human bones, right? So how do we present subjects in a museum? What are the questions around race that emerge in terms of those museological practices. So it was a really fantastic experience for us. Another example was um, last summer, we presented Emily Mass's project, The Cage is a Stage. Emily is a Los Angeles-based performance artist, and I collaborated with her in a very deep, long way for a year and a half on this project called The Stage is a Cage, which was a multi-part project comprised of two gallery exhibitions, a commissioned billboard project, and a gallery performance here at the Blackwood Gallery and also an evening-length performance at the Power Plants Harborfront Centre Theatre. And for this work, Emily was really interested in art historian John Berger's critical comparison between zoos and art galleries and how people in art galleries move through spaces the way they do at zoos. We move from cage to cage and look at the specimen inside that cage. And she used that as a starting point to develop a massive project about human and animal interactions. And so she scrutinized animality to think about some of our deep-seated compulsions to control, tame, punish, and play. So the project was organized around 20 stylized vignettes. She collaborated with a cast of five, including a, believe it or not, a professional ape emulator. Mm. A buto dancer, a child actor who's a horse fanatic, a ballerina turned circus performer, and we staged all of these projects across the campus and in Toronto at the Power Plant Contemporary Art Gallery. That whole exhibition had a really large outreach program, including this incredible public forum we co-organized with the Jackman Humanities Institute's working group Animal in the Humanities. And the forum was called Why Look at Cages? And that event examined the juxtapositions and intersections of the human and animal. We did so by inviting 10 people working across disciplines, including sociology, law, music, and filmmaking, who are studying human-animal relations. The event also included a really great public discussion with Philip Goodman, who teaches here in sociology, and he runs the Walls to Bridges program. And that program brings together students referred to as inside students and outside students. So students who are studying at the university and students who are incarcerated, and they actually study together in the 
correctional facilities. And so we invited them to discuss that program from the context of the question, why look at cages, right? So that's an example of how working with an artist who's exploring a set of ideas in a very undisciplined matter, but it connects with multiple disciplines, right? And as you were talking, you just reminded me of the exhibit that I saw, but I thought it was very sort of related to, I think, scientific inquiry Mm -hmm. because it was the one that was staged in the e-gallery. And I'm not sure who was behind it, but it was like they looked at eye tracking and Mm -hmm. where your eye goes when you looked at a certain exhibit. And I thought, you know, so much I hear about eye tracking in psychology and even in ICCIT. But I thought that was such a fascinating way to sort of incorporate what people are looking at and then to turn that into this piece of art. Art. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, an exceptional experience for us at the Blackwood. And I think for many people here at UTM, that was a part of a project by French artist Julien Prévu for his exhibition, The Elements of Influence and a Ghost, Mm -hmm. Mm. which what a beautiful title. But even that idea of what are the elements of influence on publics and on knowledge and on systems of production, management, economics, control systems. These are things that uh, he investigates and he does so in a pretty clever, sometimes cheeky way. So just a bit about that exhibition. He presented four different bodies of work in the Blackwood Gallery, one of which was a full wall installation that included a book display. Those books were actually the books of Bernie Madoff's personal library. So Julienne Prévu purchased Bernie Madoff's books through the FBI auction once Bernie was incarcerated for the world's largest financial fraud, or at least America's largest financial fraud. And what Julienne has been doing for the last number of years is conducting what he calls a forensic analysis of the interior pages of that library looking for relics of financial crisis. So what was Bernie Madoff reading? What was he buying when he went to a Sobeys auction? And why would he keep that catalog? What novels was he reading? What annotations did he make in the margins? What words did he highlight? And can we find relics of financial crisis through somebody's personal practice of reading? Another piece in that exhibition is this exquisite um, video installation where Julienne worked with with the dancers of the Paris Opera to reinterpret through dance the history of motion study. So of course, scientists have been studying motion, often in connection with economics. How can we render the body <laughs> more efficient by studying how it moves and what it can do? So it leads to things like Fordism and the factory line. So these dancers re-performed those motion studies and it's presented in the Blackwood Gallery as a beautiful video installation. So to your example, what Julian did while in residence at the Blackwood for three weeks this past January in 2017 is we um, had conducted outreach to a number of faculty, staff, and students, including faculty from economics, communication, culture, information, technology, uh, cinema studies, students in those programs as well, but then also staff, including a corporal from the campus police, somebody who works in the Office of Advancement, the site of commerce on campus, Mm. or a custodial service, a caretaker who we have a deep relationship within the Kneff Center. And they were invited to come to the gallery, meet with Julien one-on-one, and to do a gaze recording workshop. So this is what you were describing. Julien has a very special infrared camera that's connected to his computer. And so each of these individuals was asked to look at a work in the Blackwood Gallery, and their eye movement was tracked by this infrared camera and captured in a computer software program that produces some, to quote Julien, very fine drawings. So those drawings were then reproduced in our second gallery, the E-Gallery, to scale. So you have these 
gorgeous black yarn drawings that track the movement of how somebody looked at one of the pieces in the Blackwood Gallery and it's to scale. So some of these line drawings were 30 feet long and 12 feet high. It was really amazing. So what we loved about that project is it was a collaborative representation of the vision of members of the University of Toronto campus. So instead of inviting people to come look at the work, they're coming to look at the work of people having already looked at the work. I love that. I love it. <laughs> so that's where the ghost, right? Yeah. The elements of influence and a ghost, because those visions were ghostly imprints in our gallery. Yeah, I saw it and I just, I was so amazed by the thought behind it, but just then to see the representation, it was incredible. And then they had the people that participated, at least some of them, just talking to their experience and what their eye might have been drawn to, but I, I thought it was so well done. Yeah, and I think what's really great about that piece is it actually asks us to think about technologies of surveillance and how we organize people and how we organize through vision. And that whole project for us was part of something we've been thinking about since the Blackwood is now housed by the innovation complex. We're curious to know why society has an innovation complex mm. and what are the potentially disastrous effects of innovation, right? Yeah. They're not all good. This is something that another one of our exhibitions looked at, the one prior called I Stood Before the Source, was an exhibition that brought together 16 artists who were producing representations of capitalism and the pressures exerted by unfettered accumulation of work, time, environment, and social reproduction. So how can we actually make visible the effects of capitalism on bodies and on the earth? And so the exhibition traversed varied contemporary scenes of accumulation from data centers to tar sands, airports, prisons, trading bots, factories, mobile telephone communication, vacant offices inhabited by speculation, the Earth's atmosphere. These are sites that are affected by our compulsion to innovate. And so how do we make that visible? When we pick up an iPhone, do we think about lithium extraction? When we renew our iPhones every year, do we think about lithium extraction? No. Do we think about those who are producing those cell phones? What are the effects on bodies and time through our compulsion to innovate and accumulate? Coming up, UTM at 50. Christine talks about the history of the Blackwood Gallery, which has been a part of the Mississauga campus since 1969 when it first opened as the Arendale College Art Gallery, the first public art gallery in Peel region. She also discusses the role of the gallery and its impact on visitors, artists, and thinkers. And I understand that the Blackwood Gallery was one of the oldest public art galleries in Mississauga. So I'm just wondering if you could tell me a little bit about its history, but also um, its current place or relevance on the campus and how it functions within the context of the visual studies program at UTM. So the Blackwood Gallery was established in 1969, and in 1992, the gallery acquired its own space in the Kneff Center and appointed its first full-time curator in 1999, and that was Barbara Fisher. And Barbara did a phenomenal amount of work establishing the Blackwood Gallery as a site of contemporary art on campus and in the country, and staged very significant exhibitions that were then circulated actually across the globe. So it was um, with Barbara Fisher that we really established the Blackwood Gallery 
gallery. In 1995, a collection of art was established on campus through the gift from the family of David Blackwood, the namesake of our gallery. And that collection has grown to include 464 works of Canadian art, including works by Carl Beam, Rebecca Belmore, Tom Dean, Vera Frankel, Charles Patcher, Michael Snow, and a really um, remarkable collection of Inui prints and sculptures that will actually be featured for the first time in years in an exhibition that's coming up next year, which is really exciting. In 2005, the gallery gained a second exhibition space on campus known as the E-Gallery, and it was part of the newly constructed CCT building on campus. And that gallery space is always programmed in conjunction with the exhibitions we present in the Blackwood Gallery. So we actually have two spaces that are connected through our programming. Following Barbara Fisher's departure in 2008, Christoph Magone was appointed to the newly formed position of director, curator, and lecturer. That was a really important shift in that position here at UTM because it included added teaching responsibilities that have helped foster a closer connection between the gallery and the Department of Visual Studies, which is the academic unit to which the Blackwood Gallery belongs. I joined the Blackwood in 2013. I've particularly focused my energies on re-emphasizing interdisciplinary connections between the exhibitions we produce and what is being taught, learned, and researched by our students and faculty across the campus. To that end, we program approximately three to four major exhibitions of international contemporary art each year. We support two graduating exhibitions by students from our joint program with Sheridan College, our art and art history program. And sometimes we support one exhibition by a graduating master's of curatorial studies students from the University of Toronto. We celebrated the first ever student curated exhibition to come from a curatorial studies class at UTM. It's the culmination of a semester long pilot course I taught this winter called Curating Now, Turning Concepts into Curatorial Projects. And that course is part of the new curatorial studies certificate program we're launching in the Department of Visual Studies, uh, officially we're launching it in the fall. More broadly, beyond the Department of Visual Studies, we as a university art gallery perceive the 13,500 students and the 2,500 faculty and staff as our immediate audience. And we're really interested in how we can connect with that audience because that is a very diverse audience in terms of where we live, how we participate in our communities, what we're studying, what we work on. So that is a really large public that we serve, but the Blackwood also serves an ever-expanding community in the 905 area, and we're always working towards reaching audiences in the greater Toronto area as well as national and international publics. I think there's been more of an effort to have these lunchtime talks. I just think it's fantastic that you can go and take in something interesting and it's just a minimal commitment because I think they're half an hour long, but I think that's great. Yeah, we're really happy with the impact that those lunchtime talks have had. We have worked hard to position the gallery as a site of learning, a social space, a space for teaching, a space for taking risks, practicing new ideas. And so the lunchtime talks um, figure in there, as you say, so people can come and have their lunch, but they can meet other people on the cap. And so often galleries are understood as meeting places, right? And we can take an expanded view on what meeting even means. And I think that you really are touching on it, but it's about the impact of the work that you do at the gallery, but also the research. And so, you know, engaging the public and people just thinking, giving them this sort of opportunity to reflect. But what, what would you say is the biggest impact? Oh, I think there are a few because one thing that we're very committed to is supporting artists. So we feel we have a really big impact on artists because we actually make a concerted effort to commission new work. We provide the time, the 
resources, the space, and the funding for artists to develop new projects. So for instance, Emily Mass, The Cage is a Stage, was an entirely new project that we worked on with her and supported her for a year and a half. So we have a really big impact on contemporary artists, and that's really important. We want to support cultural production. We believe we have an impact on learning here on campus, positioning the gallery as a classroom and creating opportunities for students to come in and connect their coursework to other examples and to be able to have conversations with people beyond the classroom. These experiential learning opportunities, I think, are really important. And then I think we have a really big impact in terms of mobilizing knowledge in unexpected ways. So visitors to the gallery might come in and encounter an exhibition that's circulating ideas in unexpected forms and creating encounters and creating um, visual and bodily experiences that our publics might not have had otherwise. And so I think that's another way that we have an impact is people walk away saying, wow, I've never thought about that before. I've never thought about how I look. How do I look at things? How do I look at people? Do I need to change the way I look at things and the way I look at people? So how can an exhibition do that? How can it ask questions? We aren't interested in producing exhibitions that make a statement or close down knowledge. We're interested in opening up knowledge. That's great. Yeah. (laughs) What what a nice way to end on. It just sounds all so positive. And I just, I love that idea of the intellectual sort of inquiry and and creating this sort of dialogue and just making people think making people think (laughs) (laughs) it's a pretty great job (laughs) but I wanted to thank you so much for coming in today to speak to me about what's going on at the Blackwood and just it's so exciting but also to congratulate you on this amazing achievement of getting this Canada Council for the Arts funding it's just fantastic thanks Carla thank you Christine (laughs) I would like to thank everyone for listening to today's show I would like to thank my guest, Christine Shaw, for coming in and speaking to me about all the things going on with the Blackwood Gallery and about their recent projects. I would also like to thank the Office of the Vice Principal Research for their support. Thank you to everyone who has been helping to promote this podcast. And special thanks to Tim Lane for his music and technical guidance. Thank you.